Okay, let's open our word of prayer. Father, thank you so much for a beautiful day. We pray that you'll bless our hearts today and that you'll uh, help us to be attuned to uh, the things that are going on in the world around us. pray that you'll help me to convey um, the proper sense of urgency about the times in which we live today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, today, uh, as I was walking up here, Brian said, what's your title? What's your title? And I said, uh, I don't know. And here's the deal. <laughs> I'm going to talk a little bit about some of the things that went on in the Middle East this week, but I have some other things I want to talk about first. And I'll have some scripture to kind of, I think, tie some of the things up where some of my thoughts are at the end. Not much scripture at the beginning. But we do talk about this convergence of events that are happening. And, and if you want examples, you know, I, I wonder what would have happened if Ezekiel or Jeremiah or somebody, and I'm not putting myself in that category, but what would they have talked about if they had done a prophecy update or they were talking about the things that were going on in their culture in Israel at that time, or Ezekiel wrote from Babylon, what would they write about? Well, they wrote about the things that were going on in the community of faith and the things that were happening to Israel. And we know from Corinthians, Corinthians says, the things that happened to Israel happened as examples for us. So you could look through. I mean, Jeremiah talked about the sins of the, the people were doing, how the shepherds really weren't shepherd, the past, shepherds, the pastors, the shepherds were failing. Ezekiel talked about the uh, sinful atrocities that were going on in the temple and the temple precinct in Jerusalem. He had a vision. You can read about that in Ezekiel chapter 8. And so they talk about a lot of the same things. And again, as I said, I'm not trying to put myself in their category, but there really are a lot of things that are going on in the world. And I think it's important that we put these things in context and understand. And we know that when Jesus came the first time, most of the signs about Jesus, most of the prophecies about Jesus' first coming were fulfilled in a very short period of time, the Passion Week, about 60% of them. And we know that I think if that's the pattern for end-time prophecy for a second coming, a lot of these prophecies will be fulfilled in a very short period of time. Now, we're going to see the beginnings of them and how they're going to begin to play out. So it is... Um, a disrupted world, to say the least. Um, you know, I spent some time this week with uh, friends who are not um, believers. They don't really attend church or anything like that. And they're all saying, what is going on? The world, it just everything seems to be disconnected. Uh, I will remind you, too, that... Um, my updates are being put up at Remnant Truth Network. Uh, last week I mentioned about some videos that people had sent me and somebody asked me to specify which video. And I don't know who did the video. I don't think the person was ever really identified. But there was about a four-minute video about Moderna and the vaccine that somebody sent me. And it started off conveying facts that the... Uh, Bill Gates and, and, and Anthony Fauci were roommates at Cornell. And, and so they said, well, what facts were wrong? What facts? Well, okay, that fact right there is wrong. Uh, Fauci went to medical school at Cornell. He did not go to Cornell undergrad. Bill Gates never went to Cornell. He went to Harvard, and he dropped out of Harvard after two years. 
They also said that the first CEO of Moderna was Anthony Fauci and the largest shareholder was Jeffrey Epstein. So look, I, I don't mind if you want to make the case that what Fauci and Gates are at is not good, even that it's evil. But I think as Christians, we need to be very careful that we're factual about it. And I continually get videos where somebody will say, well, this is going to do, the, the vaccine will alter your DNA. Now, I haven't really been able to find any technical papers on it, but they're lying to us anyway. So, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say that this is what the vaccine is going to do. And as I've said, I'm, I'm willing to be convinced of any of these facts. And I try to research it, but I see a lot of times just sort of uh, disparate things being put together. But look, there are, cons there are valid concerns about vaccines. I have them myself. Um, there's an outbreak in, uh, of polio because of uh, bad vaccines in, in the Chad right now. People are being crippled. Uh, so that, you know, and so they, they, they messed up. They didn't do a very good job. People are being crippled. But people were being crippled when there was just polio with no vaccines, too. So you have to do a risk-benefit analysis. So that does not mean that I support all these vaccines and that type of thing. I think that there is a good case can be made that people are being having their immune system overstimulated. And I've done some litigation over that, uh, so I know a little bit about it. But look, there, certainly there are concerns about the vaccine. There was a report this week that the vaccine's going to be released. There's a vaccine going to be released on November 1st. Uh, I, I don't think so. That's just my personal opinion. I know they're going through trials. Russia announced they have a vaccine and the trials have been 100% effective. Uh, this is the same Russia that, amazingly, the opposition to Putin uh, was poisoned recently and is in Germany and German government came out and said, hey, this guy was poisoned. And to which Russia said, well, what's your proof of that? You know, and it's one of these things where <laughs> nobody believes anything about anything except what they want to talk about. It is the world of everyone has their own opinion and everyone's opinion apparently is correct. And you can never challenge it. Now, I personally don't think there'll be a vaccine on November 1st. Uh, first of all, and, and we don't know exactly what the vaccine is going to, how it's going to be composed or made up. And I get sent video after video after video that this is what the vaccine is going to have in it. And I, how do you know that? How do you know which, which of the 150 that vaccines or trials or companies that are working on a vaccine are the ones that are, which one's going to be selected or which ones are going to be selected? So I, listen, I, as I said, I remain to be convinced. I'm concerned with it's going. I think this is clearly way too fast for any vaccine to be uh, medically evaluated and declared safe. It's just going way too quick, quickly. And it, it's a very concerning thing. And also I'll note that they selected, for somehow they selected November 1st, which is three days before the election in the United States. And I think that there's a connection there that they want people to not go out and vote in person. Don't worry, you can get your absentee ballot. You can mail in your ballot and do this. And what you see also is the narratives are already starting. I was watching, I wish I had the video clip. I was watching CNN the other night and the 
reporter was talking about, in, at the bottom of the screen, he was talking about the protests in Kenosha or Portland or some city. And he said, the, in the, the scroll at the bottom said, violent protests. And suddenly, that disappeared, and one came up and said, protest, without the violent adjective. So it was edited on the fly, and you see, you see these things going on in these cities, and you talk to people about what they're seeing and what they're experiencing, and then you read things like the New York Times, and it's like, everything's fine in New York, I guess. Heather McDonald was interviewed on Dennis Prager the other day. I respect Heather quite a bit. Uh, she writes at City Journal, which is published by the Manhattan Institute. So I believe she lives in California, but she spends time in Manhattan. She says, I was in Manhattan, and you know, there are homeless encampments around the building, uh, around my building. People are being shot. People are being raped on the Upper East Side, which is one of the most affluent neighborhoods, and, and nobody's saying anything about it. And people are leaving like crazy. I saw a little mem that the uh, employee of the month for U-Haul is Gavin Newsom from California because so many people are renting U-Hauls to get out of California. And by the way, they're in a major heat wave out there. I, I think it was 113 in the uh, Inland Empire today, 113, 115. And that, that's hot. That's hot. And a lot of people in, in Southern California, because the ocean is generally cooling, don't have air conditioning and the power grid is being affected. So there's just like, everywhere I look, there's like chaos. And things happening, and it's like these unusual things happening. So I'm going to address a couple issues. The first one is local, but I think this is something that is concerning. Uh, somebody sent me a copy of this, so I got it and read it. This is the director's order from the director of the Ohio Department of Health, issued on August 31st. It's titled, Director's Second Amended Order, for non-congregate sheltering to be utilized throughout Ohio. And I will just say what the order itself says, the first part of it. I, Lance Himes, Interim Director of the Ohio Department of Health, pursuant to the authority granted me in RC, that's Revised Code 3701.04, to require reports and make inspections and investigations that the director considers necessary, RC 37. 01.13 to make special orders for preventing the spread of contagious or affected diseases in RC 3701.14 to investigate or make inquiry as to the cause of disease or illness, including contagious, infectious, epidemic, pandemic, or endemic conditions, and take prompt action to control and suppress it. Order the following to prevent the spread of COVID-19 within the state of Ohio. Now, this comes in the midst of it appears the numbers are stable or dropping. Um, I watched the governor's news conference the other day. I thought it was, I don't know what's going on. I really don't. I, th I think <laughs> it's clear that uh, people are being separated uh, not only from each other, but from the truth. Uh, but here's what he says he needs to do. Uh, this is item one on his list. Non-congregate sheltering be utilized throughout the state for those who are unable to safely self-quarantine in their place of residence and to isolate those diagnosed with or showing symptoms of COVID-19. So 
unable to say, and these terms, at least from the two-page order that I read, are not really defined. What does it mean, unable to safely self-quarantine? You want to stay in the basement? You come up to use the fridge in the kitchen? I, I don't know. And this is what's troubling about this. this I, I'm bothered by this. Um, those diagnosed with or showing symptoms of COVID-19. So, as you know, if you have allergy issues here in central Ohio this year, the pollen count is high to extremely high almost every day. So what happens when there's a pollen count? Well, I cough sometimes because my nose is draining and drainage down the back of my throat. Is that a COVID-19 symptom? And we've created this, I guess I would always call it this climate of fear. Walking down, a, since we moved, I've been making daily, I would say not a daily trip, daily trips to various home improvement stores. <laughs> the lady at Menards the other night when I was checking asked me, how are you doing? I said, well, I didn't come yesterday. I was afraid the manager was going to show up and ask me if I was okay, because it seems like I'm here one to three times a day. Um, that's a really cool store in some respects. Um, although I asked the guy to, uh, he asked somebody to help me cut a piece of lumber. And uh, I don't know if he was mocking me or not. <laughs> But anyway, so this is examples of those types of persons, unable to safely quarantine or isolate, diagnosed with showing symptoms of COVID-19. Test positive for COVID-19 who do not require hospitalization but need isolation, including those exiting from hospitals. Those who have been exposed to COVID-19 who do not require hospitalization. And asymptomatic high-risk individuals needing social distancing as a precautionary measure. This is very overly broad, and they're getting these. Then there's about four or five paragraphs about universities and college and private and non-private. Um, I'm bothered by the, the overreach of this. Sheltering specific populations and non-congregate shelters should be determined by a local public health official's direction or guidance and should be based on individual needs. In other words, Whatever they say goes, apparently. This is troubling. Now, there was a reporter from um, a radio station or news station up in Mansfield who asked the governor a question about this. So here's Governor DeWine, you know, the question, and the, uh, it's not an answer, it's a response. Next question is from Jack Windsor at WMFD in Mansfield. Hey, Jack. Hi, Governor. Uh, the order released on August 31st and signed by Lance Himes is a second amended order for non-congregate sheltering to be used throughout Ohio. Uh, the order states that FEMA sheltering will be utilized throughout the state for those who are unable to safely self-quarantine at home. Uh, Governor, who decides whether a resident is safe for self-quarantine? What are the determinants? Does this apply to the entire Ohio population? And what authority do you have to remove people from their homes? Okay, very simple question. Primarily, Jack, that's going to be determined uh, by individuals who think they're not safe at home. 
uh, I'll, you know, I'll get more information on that and uh, I'll, I'll report back. That would be my take on it. Next question is from Kevin Landers at WBNS in Columbus. Well, so what happened was, so that's like 45 seconds, and when that got put up on the Channel 4 website, that question and answer was cut out. That, I'm sorry. That question and response was cut out. That was not an answer. So what are they going to do? Are they going to do something like this that happened in Australia? I'm sure you've seen this, maybe. These are police serving a search warrant on the home of a young mother, 28 years old, pregnant, with a couple small children. If you want to listen, you got your phone going? Yeah, I do, yeah. Now, you're under arrest in relation to incitement. She's being arrested. Yeah. Now, you're not obliged to say do anything, but anything you say do may be given evidence. Excuse me, incitement for what? What the, What on earth? Excuse me, what What on earth? Can you handcuff now? Can you, like, record this? Like, in my pajamas, What's this? I an ultrasound in an hour. Yeah, pregnant. she's pregnant, so... Well, I'll take it easy. What's this about? If I have an ultrasound in an hour. Let me finish and I'll In relation to a Facebook post, in relation to a lockdown protest you put on... Yeah, and I wasn't breaking any laws by doing that. You are, actually. You she are posted on social media about protesting the law. How can you arrest her? That's... Can't you just say to her, take the post down? Like, come I'm, on. I'm happy to delete the post. This is ridiculous. Yeah. But I have to give you these caution and rights. Do you understand? Yeah, that's fine. Like, I'm happy to delete the post. This is ridiculous. Like, I just decided that's fine. So what they did was, you can turn the sound down. This goes on for a couple minutes. They eventually lead her away. Uh, she was said, hey, you know, I got an appointment to get an ultrasound for my pregnancy here pretty quickly. Uh, they said, well, you know, that's too bad. Um, you need to be taken away because of what you posted on social media. The Australian the other day had this headline, self-interested fortress premiers betray our nation. And so what they have, they have pr provinces or states in Australia. And this, is, this one took place in Victoria around Melbourne, I believe. And she was taken away. They took all her computers, cell phones, everything out of the house to watch, to look at them for what she'd been posting. This is Australia, not not Russia. You know, it's Australia. And I find this troubling. Oh, by the way, do you want to know what she posted? What what led two police to show up at the house of a 28-year-old pregnant mother and take her away in handcuffs? Here's what she posted. Peaceful protest. All social distancing measures are to be followed so we don't get arrested, please. Please wear a mask unless you have a medical reason not to. As some of you have seen, the government has gone to extreme measures and are using scare tactics through the media to prevent the Melbourne protest. And I think when she was being picked up, the husband was like, well, what about the, the you know, Black Lives Matter protests? What are you doing about that? Uh, sir, this is about protesting against the lockdown. So they're going to lock her up because she was protesting against, uh, against the lockdown. She said here, also said this, here in Ballarat, we can be a voice for those in stage four lockdowns. They were in a stage three. They weren't even in a stage four. 
we can be seen and heard and hopefully make a difference. We live in a free and square codes country. Now, I will also say this. Uh, you need to pray for her for her salvation. Uh, some other friends of mine have looked into her background. I believe she's heavily into New Age of witchcraft. So I'm always concerned when I see these things go viral that the person might you then use that viralness of the video to promote their her, heretical, un, false beliefs. So that's always a concern. And I see a lot of New Age stuff wrapped up in a lot of these people that are you know, talking about vaccines and lockdowns and that type of thing. And I'm okay with the protests and protesting it, and I think what was done to her was wrong. But I also don't want to give a lot of extra impetus to people who are really leading people astray in other places as well, on a spiritual side. Uh, we'll also have this uh, rather, uh, we can show you videos of Nancy Pelosi saying you've got to wear a mask, you've got to wear a mask. I will not show you those videos. You, I know you've seen them. And of course, here she shows up. This is her coming into her hair salon, not wearing a mask. She was uh, the epitome of being the opposite of gracious when she was caught on video doing this. She said it was a setup. People need to apologize to her. Um, so Queen, uh, Nancy Antoinette, I think is what they're calling her now. Uh, let them eat cake type thing. Um, and what do they, what do they, look at the, the measures they're going to. So this is Grace Community Church. Uh, this is their, the auditorium you can see, the big building there, Master Seminary, the education building and offices. And you can see they're right around the church. There's not a lot of parking. I've been there many times myself. And so what they've done is they've always leased these two parking lots. And these are pretty big parking lots uh, for people to park because they get, I don't know, five or six thousand, four or five, six thousand people a service. And you're not going to get four or five thousand people parking there. And there's not really good public transit in that area of Los Angeles, uh, the San Fernando Valley. So they leased these parking lots. They've leased these parking lots and paid them the city every month or every year since 1975. So by my reckoning, that's 45 years. Well, they tried to shut down the services. The county keeps losing. County and city keep losing at the court level. The judges have allowed them to go forward with services, in-person services. And so what did the county do? The county exercised its rights to terminate the lease on those parking lots this week, immediately, which they're right under the lease. They have that right. But you can see there's a flood channel that goes down. That's a, that's a California river there, the concrete channel. <laughs> Sometimes it's full of water. Uh, very rarely is it full of water, uh, especially this time of year. Uh, but... So the, the lots really aren't an area where people are going to be building anyway. The, the, city's make, the county's making money, getting rent. And so, what they, they, so this is not about the vaccine. This is about shutting down the church at this point. I don't think there's any question in my mind about this. And so the question is how far, they're going to go as far with this as they can. Now, I've heard people suggest, well, when November, when the election is over, all of this will stop. I don't, I don't think so, folks. They'll do as much as they can get away with. 
And I, I, it's, it's insane. Uh, Liberty this week, Liberty University, which had its own problems with its president, which are very disturbing, has a convocation. Now, I, I could show you clips of Liberty Chapel where they bring in people to talk about the Enneagram and other things. Uh, you know, they have Glenn Beck come, they've had Stephen Furtick and some other not. They have good people come in and talk, but they have sort of a parade of people that I, if I had a kid there, I wouldn't want them listening to that. Because it's, it's never balanced. Do they ever have anybody come in and say, well, here's why there's a problem with Stephen Furtick? No, they bring Stephen Furtick in, right? But do they ever bring somebody in who might have us, you know, the ability to discern what might be wrong with the Stephen Furtick or wrong with the Enneagram? Do they ever do that? That's a rhetorical question. The rhetorical question is one to which the answer is obvious, and the answer, obviously, there is no, they never do do that. So this week they had Andy Stanley. Andy Stanley's church, North Point, down in Atlanta. Their campuses run about 30,000 or so on a Sunday. Son of Charles Stanley. And before the questions ask, and the discussion takes place in the YouTube comments, well, certainly Charles Stanley doesn't know what Andy's doing. That's, I see this all the time. I'm like, go look it up. Go look at all the cruises that Charles Stanley has sponsored recently where he speaks. Andy goes and speaks at those cruises every year. Now, I'm sure there's stuff that Andy says is right, but he's big in the Enneagram. First of all, I told you in about the 45-minute mark of this interview that you'll see, he was saying that, you know, my kid's Enneagram score, I would always check that. He promotes a guy named Ian Crone, who is a big follower of Richard Rohr, who, as I mentioned in the first hour, is a, a, a Buddhist Catholic monk. New, I cannot believe that any discerning Christian, let alone a pastor, can't see through that. It's, it's, well, I can believe it. I would, I would hope that it's not true. But unfortunately, it is. So they ask Andy, so you guys are locked down while you're doing it. So I'm going to play a little bit longer clip because I want to put everything in context. So I want to be things. So they, they say, you know, John MacArthur says you should be meeting and you're not meeting. What's the deal? And this is Andy's response. When you're not sure what to say or do, you ask, what does love require of you? So with that as this overarching Christian ethic, when it comes to a decision like this, the, just as an, I'm to ask that question in my marriage, we as the body of Christ who represent Christ in our community are to ask that for our community. What does love require of us? And here's what we always know what love requires. Sacrifice. When you, it's a scary question to ask because it's going to cost you something every single time. So for us to make this decision on behalf of our community and then to use our energy, staff energy and resources to invest in the community was our corporate answer to what does love require of us in this season for our community. So again, 
Um, I think the church always looks better when we are um, defending other people's rights rather than defending our own. The church always looks better when we're giving away rather than demanding our way. And this is what Jesus modeled. Um, People on the other end of this argument, I keep hearing them say over and over, the Lord commands us to meet. The Lord commands us to meet. Hmm. He does not. He commands that we lay down our lives for our friends, that we do what's best for others. Even the Apostle Paul said this when describing Jesus in, in, the, in his book, uh, letter to Philippians. He said, he who was equal with God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. He who was made in the image of God did not. In other words, Jesus, this is amazing. Jesus never played the God card. He never said, okay, by the way, I'm God, right? You know, so if, and, and again, to quote, um, you know, Peter, who dictated his experience with Jesus to Mark, for even the Son of Man, and we're his body, remember this, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So the local church, as the representation of Jesus, this is a premier moment. This mm. is a premier moment for the local church in the Mar- No. Jesus never played the God card. I and the Father are one. He who has seen me has seen the Father. Am I misquoting that? I, I said I watched this stuff and it's like, where, what are you doing, man? Where are you getting that? Hebrews. Now he'll say, well, that's Paul. whoever wrote Hebrews wrote this, not Jesus. I don't care. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. In our day and age, more important than ever. Now I'm going to share a little story. No names, no identification. But I got this from a very trusted pastor friend. At what happened in a local Christian high school. Not local here, but local to where the pastor lives. Um, the Christian school where this 15-year-old student attends was doing Zoom classes. During the Zoom class, one of the female students in the class put up things in favor of Black Lives Matter. She's notorious for being pro-homosexual marriage, pro-abortion, et cetera, et cetera. This student put up a couple things on his Zoom panel. One was All Lives Matter, and another one was, you know, looking at it, I, I don't think that the student meant it this way, but it could be taken this way. It was derogatory towards Black Lives Matter. The female student and her parent, mother, doxed the kid. You know what doxing is? They ex went on social media, exposed his name, email, home phone, home address. That has been picked up on Black Lives Matter message and Twitter accounts, and the kid, 15 years old, has received hundreds and hundreds of death threats because of what this other student did in a this is a Christian school folks 
Jesus said, in the end times, you're going to be betrayed by people that you think are in the household of faith. Now, I can say to you today, watching what I know about this, that prophecy is being fulfilled right in front of our eyes. Parents are distraught, thinking they're going to have to move to a rural state to get away from this. They went to the school administration of a... Did I mention it was a Christian school? You know what the Christian school said? We're going to expel you. So the parents to protect the student are withdrawing the student from the school. A Christian school. Now, I think maybe the life verse of a lot of Christian people should be uh, Romans 16, 17, I think it is. Act like men. Where are the men that will stand up to this? This, this is pathetic. So uh, I don't want to identify the Christian school because I don't want to dox the superintendent that uh, did it. But I know where it is. I'm tempted to pick up the phone. This is just uh, horrific. The 15-year-old student. You know what they want. They want the kid to kill himself. And I'm watching these things like, uh, you know, there's this, this thing that happened in um, Portland. Trump supporters did a caravan through. And one of the Trump supporters who had a prayer, Eagle Prayer Team or whatever the name of the organization was on his hat was shot in the heart and killed. Uh, the person did an interview on Vice, which is sort of a left-leaning news outlet, so I thought I was in fear of my life. They found, and the cop, the investigation shows that he shot the pepper can, that he had pepper like bear spray or something like that. Um, he said, well, I was afraid for my life. Police went to arrest him the other day. He resisted with a gun. They shot and killed him. And the interesting thing is that this happens in Portland. If you go to get the Portland newspaper, it's like, it's not even on the front page. You know, the right-wing protesters, though, that's all over the front page. I, I don't think I've ever seen the media so in the tank for anyone. And, I mean, here's an example. This is front page article in the uh, Washington Post, I think, yesterday. Struggle to convict in killings by police. With police given wide latitude, prosecutions often falter. And a big, long article where they're just sort of decrying the fact that, well, Ferguson, other places, police have been tried and they're found not guilty or found guilty on reduced charges. And they're sort of lamenting that fact that people would actually decide cases based on facts. They want cases based on their emotions. And they have their hope in this article, this is a quote, some believe the summer's unrest could transform what happens in the future. Okay. 
why? To become more postmodern and disruptive than we already are? That's what you want? Um, and when did a skateboard become <clears throat> the weapon of choice of these people? Hey, I'm just carrying my skateboard. <clears throat> and then they beat somebody with it, and he turns around and shoots them, and he gets charged. The person they were beating with the skateboard gets charged with murder. Where, where are the men and people that have any standards at all? Like, this is, I'm afraid this is what the end time world looks like. And yeah, I guess you would say that's a bit doom and gloom, but um, <clears throat> it's, look, what's the old saying? I'm only telling you the facts. So let's look at the uh, Middle East. Uh, I was actually going to do a midweek update this week, and there was just so much happening. Here's a publication from uh, Combating Terrorism Center at West Point and their magazine, The Future of Synthetic Biology. They're talking about the fact that with the way that things are going, and I think this kind of also relates somewhat to the development of vaccines and some of the technology and things that they're doing that really have not been done successfully before. They're saying, look, we're really at a stage where bioweapons can be very easily made, adapted. And this is West Point putting out this warning that uh, we're at a pretty serious point. It says here at the molecular engineering, as the molecular engineering techniques of the synthetic biologists become more robust and widespread, the probability of encountering one or more of these threats is approach, approaching certainty. Well, that's good news. I'll talk about the deal in just a moment, but a couple other things. This thing, this development with Turkey, continues to be kind of bothersome. This is about a week and a half ago in the Daily Sabah, which is a government English language newspaper. Uh, but here is what Erdogan is saying in this talk that he gave at the dedication of a museum or archaeology site back on August 26. He said this. These are just some of his quotes. In our civilization, conquest, he's talking about Turkey, is not occupation or looting. It is establishing the dominance of the justice that Allah commanded in the conquered region. This guy is an Islamist, man. You need to watch him carefully. First of all, and I'm not saying he's the Antichrist or anything like that. He is an Antichrist. There's no doubt about that. Here's another quote. First of all, our nation removed the oppression from the areas that it conquered. It established justice. This is why our civilization is one of conquest. So he's telling you what he's going to do. Turkey will take what, it's, what is its right in the Mediterranean Sea and the Aegean Sea and in the Black Sea. Just as we are not eyeing the soil sovereignty or interest of anyone else, we will never give concession from ours. This is why we are determined to do whatever is necessary politically, economically, or militarily. We invite our interlocutors, our opponents, to put themselves in order and stay away from mistakes that will open the way for them to be destroyed. We want everyone to see that Turkey is no longer a country whose patience is to be tried or whose determination, capabilities, and courage are to be tested. If we say we will we'll do it, then we will, and we will pay the price. If there is anyone who wants to stand against us and pay the price, let them come. If not, let them get out of our way and we will see to our own business. And what did the Turkish poet Johanna Kemal say? 
And the spirit of the armies here, he said this, the storm breaking out is the Turkish army, O Lord. The army that dies for your sake is this one, O Lord. May your renowned and strengthened name be raised up with the calls to prayer. Make us the victor because this is the last army of Islam. Watch Turkey. There's another speech that he gave uh, this week. And the translation, he was essentially saying to Greece, this was all over the Mideast news, they're either going to understand the language of politics and diplomacy. So there's this dispute in the Mediterranean, around the islands and the Aegean Sea. And even today I heard people say, well, you know, Turkey wants to talk about it. Greece doesn't want to talk about it. Well, it's clearly Greece. Why should Greece want to talk about it? They're going to either understand the language of politics and diplomacy, Erdogan said, or in the field with painful experiences. They're going to understand that Turkey has the political, economic, and military power to tear up the immoral maps and documents imposed. Turkey is ready for every eventuality and result. With the help of Allah and the support of our nation, we are determined to transform our country into the, one of the ten largest states in the world. So this guy has dreams. Syria continues to be a problem. This is a little graphic I made up of the players in Syria. Sort of taken off a number of countries where I can't go anymore, I guess. But uh, uh, this is, you know, Syria is a problem, and these players have essentially taken it over. Uh, Putin is even sort of going against U.S. troops and interests there. Israel has bombed a base up around Homs again. At least it's believed that it was Israel. Bombed the base up around Homs and uh, did a lot of damage. Of course, Syria claims, well, we shot down almost all the missiles. Uh, it's always hard to know exactly how many they shot down. They claim that they did. Uh, of course, you see Hezbollah down there. Lebanon continues to be a major problem. Seth Fransman at the Jerusalem Post has an interesting article, how Russia outplayed U.S. with Turkey and Syria. And I think Seth's assessment of this is, is pretty accurate, that Turkey has, Turkey and Russia have really um, done a number on the region. Both have been able to extend their influence into Syria. Um, And Assad remains in power. And I don't think anybody nine years ago when that whole thing started would believe it. This is a publication of the uh, report to the United States Congress, East Africa Counterterrorism Operation, North and West Africa. Looking at things in the region particularly, there's a several, about a five-page summary of what's going on in Syria where both Russia and Turkey are trying to extend influence. And it's interesting that Turkey and Russia are also engaged as we speak, or soon will be engaged, in live fire exercises in the Mediterranean. So while they do clash, their interests clash from time to time in Syria, they're also cooperating in live fire exercises. And who knows what's going on with uh, a country like North Korea. But here's what the counterterrorism thing says. While the Syrian mercenaries have bolstered the uh, operation. So what Turkey did was Turkey has taken a bunch of uh, mercenary soldiers from Syria, transported them, about at least 5,000, to Libya, 
where they're sort of wreaking havoc, I guess is the best way to say. They support the UN-backed government. Russia supports the other government. Uh, Russia's setting their Wagner private military mercenaries in. So Turkey and Russia are kind of at odds there, but they're also doing joint military exercises together. It's a very strange world. So this is, uh, but it's, it's a, uh, so the uh, Defense Intelligence Agency assessed that the growing Wagner group present gives Russia increased influence over the outcome of the Libyan civil war. Since the initial um, deployment started in 2019, Russia's been extending its influence there. So we know that Russia's going to fall into this orbit eventually, and whether it's Turkey or Russia that's really in charge, I don't know that it's all that important. So, and I see my slides somehow are all out of order, so let's see if I can make some sense of them. Oh, this is one that I forgot to put up near the front. Uh, this is what's happened at Graceland down in Memphis, Tennessee. They've it's been defaced. Nothing is uh, sacred. So Jared Kushner and Robert C. O'Brien, who's a national security advisor to the president, we're in the Middle East this week. I'm going to play you some clips of what happened. They were there to shore up the agreement between the United Arab Emirates and Israel, and also to go to other Arab countries to see if they could get them on board. We know that a week ago, Pompeo visited a bunch of countries, Sudan, Bahrain, uh, the UAE, Oman. I don't know if he went to Qatar or not, but they were trying to do that. They, he didn't really come back with anything, so Kushner went this week. Now, I want you to listen to what Kushner said, because everybody's saying, look, this, this is a historic agreement. Um, in fact, one of the uh, UAE newspapers, you'll see in a minute, had an assessment of what had happened. So what happened was there was a flight from Israel over Saudi Arabia to the United Arab Emirates, to Abu Dhabi. And here's a, this was a screen that was in the Israeli airplane. This was an Israeli Al Al plane. And usually that flight would take eight, seven, eight hours because they would have to fly around all the foreign countries' airspace that won't allow an Israeli plane to fly over their airspace. So this was a pretty significant thing that Israel was able to fly direct over Saudi Arabia to Abu Dhabi, to the United Arab Emirates. Um, Kushner had some comments. Um, as he said here, we're writing the script for a new Middle East. These are, I, you need to understand, the, listen to the language. I'm, I'm only telling you, listen to the language of what is said because I think it's very significant. I think this is a big deal, and I think this is a big deal from Bible prophecy. Uh, they took the flight over Abu Dhabi. This is the Israel Hayom front page, showing the connection between Jerusalem and uh, Dubai. And then there was a news conference. Here's some comments from that news conference. First, uh, Prime Minister, a clip of Prime Minister Netanyahu. 
it will pave the way for other countries to normalize their ties with Israel. I think for far too long the Palestinians have had a veto on peace, not only between the Palestinians and Israel, but between Israel and the broader Arab world. And if it were up to some of these Palestinians, Israel would have to withdraw to the indefensible 67 lines, expel over 100,000 Jews from their homes in our ancestral homeland, divide our capital, Jerusalem, flood Israel with descendants of refugees, put our country at risk while still refusing to recognize the one and only Jewish state. Now, this has been a long-held position on them. I told uh, Jared and the delegation that um, on the 100th anniversary of the Balfour Declaration, three years ago, they were suing Britain. They planned to sue Britain for the Balfour Declaration. So if, it's, uh, if we have to wait for the Palestinians, we would have to wait forever. Well, no longer. Two things have changed that. The first thing is the Trump plan, and the second thing is the willingness of Arab states supported enormously by the United States of America to advance peace without a Palestinian veto. Yep, um, uh, in a, the National Security Advisor O'Brien's comments, I think they're a little bit redundant, but here's Jared Kushner, uh, who spoke at the same news conference with Prime Minister Netanyahu. Four years ago, my father-in-law asked me to work on peace in the Middle East. I've given it my all. There is still much work left to accomplish, but the Abraham Accords is a giant step forward. To have played a role in its creation, and I say this as the grandson of two Holocaust survivors, it means more to me and to my family than I can ever express. We will continue to pursue peace between Israel, the biblical homeland of the Jewish people, and its Arab and Muslim neighbors, and I have never been more hopeful about peace. Now, the responses uh, or the reaction to all of this in Israel, uh, first of all, it was reported the United Arab Emirates said, listen, Netanyahu backing off his statements that he's going to do annexation of parts of the Jordan Valley and Judea and Samaria were prerequisite for the deal. Uh, this is causing a lot of political, I think, turmoil in Israel, particularly with regard to Netanyahu. I mean, they're having demonstrations of thousands of people almost daily, from what I hear. I'm not there, so take it with a grain of salt. But I've seen a lot of pictures of demonstrations, uh, even outside the prime minister's residence in Jerusalem, where they're demanding him to resign. Uh, it's... As you can imagine, just like we're having a bit of turmoil in the United States, there's a bit of turmoil in Israel. And there are some very, uh, I think, very critical articles in the Jerusalem Post and elsewhere this week, Netanyahu trade halting annexation for erasing the 67 line. People are upset about it. What they're concerned about is he took the annexation off the table for a time. Now we go back to the 1967 lines, which everybody agrees are indefensible. So we have a problem with that. We have the, uh, here's an article in the Jerusalem Post the other day, um, something is rotten in the state of Israel. This was extremely critical of what had happened. There was, uh, here's an article, nine points 
on how halting annexation resurrects the 1967 lines. You can find all these at the Jerusalem Post website. I won't go into detail. The other interesting point was, this is a peace agreement, right? They're, they're calling it a peace agreement. In fact, there's, they're going to have a big ceremony at the White House, supposedly on September 14th, and it will be referred to as a peace agreement there. Some would say it's really just a normalization agreement, but I'm telling you the people involved are calling it a peace agreement. So I'm going to go with what they're calling it. Uh, now, Seth Fransman had a very good article the other day, last Monday at the Jerusalem Post, why aren't prominent pro-peace voices celebrating the UAE-Israel normalization deal? And he says, remember, we saw the things we played them in 2016, after the election in 2016, Kerry and Samantha Powers and Obama were all trying to get Israel dinged at the UN. They refused to uh, exercise a veto over a particular uh, resolution. That was deliberate. And so, you know, Kerry, you remember John Kerry running around, oh, well, I'm for peace, I'm for peace. Have you heard this guy say anything about this? Anything? And I think what he's really about was, he wasn't really about peace. He was really about a peace, P-I-E-C-E of Israel. Or all the pieces of Israel. So that's, um, it's just been kind of an interesting thing to watch. Uh, they're also talking about opening uh, embassies and other places. I'm sure this is going to be furthered. Jared Kushner, uh, this was on the historic flight from Israel to the UAE. Um, I mean, this was, this was a big deal in, in the United Arab Emirates and Israel, at least. This is a headline of a newspaper from the, um, from the United Arab Emirates. Salam, which is the Arabic word for peace, and Shalom, which is the Hebrew word for peace. So it really was a big deal. Uh, Kushner was interviewed by a number of people. Uh, I think I'm going to skip this particular interview. Essentially what he said was, what are you going to do if, if you have four more years for the Trump administration? He says, we're going to get more peace. We're going to fix up things with China. We're going to do this, North Korea. He went through a whole list of things. Here is what Kushner said at the airport before he left, as he was getting ready to get on the flight to go to, um, but I can't remember if this was in Tel Aviv or after they arrived in Dubai, but here's a little video clip of that. He'll speak in just a moment here. I prayed yesterday at the wall that Muslims and Arabs from throughout the world will be watching this flight, recognizing that we are all children of God and that the future does not have to be predetermined by the past. Kushner also uh, was said that the, uh, the Abraham Accord, which is what they're calling this, uh, demonstrates that peace is possible in the Middle East. That's, I'm just using the words and terminology of the people involved. He was also interviewed, I think this is from Al Jazeera, another Arabic language uh, 
new service, but he spoke in English. Here's what he said. I would say that I think it could be bigger than the experts even imagine. And so, uh, you know, America's role was obviously to broker and bring both sides together, but uh, we view the next phase of our engagement as making sure that we really establish a firm foundation for this piece to make sure that uh, both the government to government at the institutions, at the politician level, uh, but then also at the people to people level uh, starts happening as quickly as possible because uh, we want this relationship to stand on its own without the need for uh, America to be a part of it. We think that there's so much uh, commonality in terms of threat and also commonality in terms of opportunity. And what I saw was both sides uh, maybe a little bit surprised with how comfortable they felt with each other. The styles of, of diplomacy and of, of, of interaction are very similar. Uh, and again, you know, when I travel to Israel, I don't feel very different than when I travel to United Arab Emirates or Saudi Arabia or Bahrain. So I actually hear the same things. I'm just looking at people who uh, perhaps are, 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 are from different places, uh, but they're saying a lot of the same things now. And so uh, what America's tried to do is bring people closer together because uh, this region will be stronger if it's united uh, and, and if there's more opportunity for people. And so uh, it was really a very hopeful meeting and, and quite exciting. So right now the focus is on this relationship and on the relationship potentially with other countries. That's very important to Israel. It's very important to the region. Uh, Israel's agreed to suspend the annexation uh, or to, spend, to suspend applying Israeli law to, uh, to, those, to those areas uh, for the time being. But, uh, but in the future, it's a discussion that I'm sure will be had, but uh, not in the near future. How long will it take for a fourth Arab state to normalize ties with Israel? Obviously, I think it happened, but uh, the reality is, is that uh, a lot of people uh, were very envious of the move that the United Arab Emirates made. Uh, a lot of people want access to uh, the technology and economy and uh, a lot of the different advancements that Israel has. I mean, Israel's like another Silicon Valley for the Middle East here and uh, they're open for business and they're very excited to interact with the Arab and Muslim world and uh, purely from a, a faith point of view a lot of Muslims now are very excited to be able to fly through the United Arab Emirates to go and visit and pray uh, at the Al-Aqsa Mosque and to visit the other uh, holy and majestic sites of, of Israel. So uh, I think that this is going to be the start of something very exciting and uh, my hope is that more and more countries will uh, want to do this because uh, it doesn't benefit anybody by being apart. It's just, uh, it allows myths to, uh, to permeate. It allows people to have misperceptions. And uh, we don't solve problems by not talking to each other. You think you might see one day all the 22 Arab states normalizing ties with Israel? I'm to do it. And I believe that it's the right thing to do over time. And so uh, I am an optimist. That's my, my blessing and my curse in life. Uh, it's more fun to be an optimist than a pessimist. But... Uh, but there's uh, a thousand reasons why it should happen, and there's very few reasons why it shouldn't happen. So uh, my hope and my prayers are that the leaders have the strength and the courage to make uh, the right decisions and to not be discouraged by the vocal minorities. Twitter is, is not a real place. You know, the people who are angry on Twitter, and then you have some radicals. But the people who are against normalization are people who are against progress, right? Normalization is about giving everybody opportunity, respecting each other's faith, and you know, having a more stable region. If you're against normalization, 
then what are you standing for? You're standing for extremism, you're standing for division, uh, you're standing for intolerance. And so uh, I think that uh, thanks to the United Arab Emirates leadership now, people are looking at it through that prism, and I think it will uh, create a much bigger coalition, what I call a vocal majority that will be in favor of normalizing. Relationships. This was a tweet that someone put up. Um, American sources say this, Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman has promised that once he is crowned king of Saudi Arabia, he will sign a peace treaty with Israel. At present, his father, King Salman, is adopting the Palestinians' position on normalization with Israel. And one of the places that Kushner stopped on his trip was he had a meeting with Mohammed bin Salman uh, in, I believe, Riyadh. Or maybe, I think it was, no, it was in Neom, I think. Uh, so they were talking about uh, where Saudi Arabia was going to go with this. Now, very interestingly, in Mecca, the leading imam cleric of Mecca made a, a, gave a sermon Friday that said, hey, normalization with Israel, essentially, I'll paraphrase, normalization with Israel is something that the Quran supports. And there are protests all across Saudi Arabia around this. So these, I mean, these are kind of epic changes that are taking place right now. So uh, I think you need to pay attention to these things that are going on. The reaction from some quarters, this was um, from Khomeini, and this was a, one of the comments had this picture in it. The UAE rulers opened the door of the region to the Zionists, and they have ignored and normalized the question of Palestine, which is a question about the usurpation of a country. The stigma will remain on them. The nation of Palestine is under various severe pressures. Then the UAE acts in agreement with the Israeli and filthy Zionist agents of the U.S., such as the Jewish member. Is that mine that's beeping? I don't know. So, yeah. Kick him out. Okay, I'll turn the sound down. I don't know if it's me or not. Um, I know I have too many devices here. No, that one should. So, acting in agreement with the Israelis and filthy Zionist agents of the U.S., such as the Jewish member of Trump's family, with the utmost cruelty in the interest against Islam. It's interesting. In the same, in one of the Iranian papers, they had the. They have these ads that run. They look like ads. They're like little vignettes of the life of Soleimani. They're sort of creating this myth around him. Now, when Ramallah the other day, they had the Palestinian Central Council uh, got together, and uh, Abbas said, this is a terrible thing. We won't normalize ties with Israel. Uh, the Arabs must abide by their decision. The Arab Peace Initiative was presented in, by Saudi Arabia in 2002, and since then it has been endorsed by the Arabs and the UN Security Council. So that's the one we're going to go with. Uh, they had a meeting. You can find it on the Mahmoud Abbas's uh, Facebook page video. So this was a... Um, he said this. This is what he concluded with. Anyone who accepts the annexation plan as a traitor... From here we will affirm that we have mandated anyone, not we have not mandated for anyone to speak on our behalf. 
The other thing that was announced this morning was Kosovo and Serbia have now announced that they're going to move their embassies to Jerusalem. Um, again, kind of a big deal since that's where some of the uh, very strong Muslim opposition came. Now, I want you to, if you could, go to Arut Shiva and look up the article by Martin Sherman, Israel's National Imperative, Keep Your Powder Dry. And Sherman's response to this is he directs the INSS, the Israeli National Institute for National Security Studies. And he's, uh, he's an interesting guy. He's uh, very intelligent. And he wrote this article about, listen, we need to watch what's going on. We need to remember that this normalization does not mean that we can let our guard down. Essentially, he's saying is, I don't really trust what the rhetoric that I'm hearing from the Arabs about how we're going to have peace. Um, this article comes at a time, too, when there is a... Um, so anyway, go to the title of the article is Israel's National Imperative, Keep Your Powder Dry. That's at Arud Shiva um, website, Martin Sherman. I could sit here and read it, but you can go read it for yourself. You may say, listen, we've got a lot of problems. We're watching Turkey. We have all these things. And uh, he goes this. He concludes with this in his article. For those who subscribe to the people-to-people -people doctrine, perhaps a sobering example is the chilling case of the 1929 Hebron massacre in which the Jewish residents of the town were viciously attacked and brutally murdered by Arabs who had long been their friendly neighbors, but at the call of their leaders, mercilessly turned on them. Accordingly, Israeli policymakers would do well to heed the dour words of Zippy Schissel, curator of the Hebron History Museum, Quote, it is impossible to understand the reality we face today without knowing the history of Hebron. You might look up a video that I did, Why Hebron Matters, about uh, three years ago. Almost exactly three years ago. Which is precisely why, despite positive developments, Sherman says, Israel needs to keep its powder dry. Now I'm going to read just a passage of scripture, a couple little news items that I think are very important. To put things in context. It was announced this week that in the city of David they have found the Davidic dynasty symbol the, at the top of the columns and near that promenade between the Pool of Shalom, Shalom and the Temple Mount. This is a very significant find. It's from the first temple period, proving the Jewish tie to the land. And I think you, wanted, you ought to take... So we have this desire of, of Kushner to get this peace arrangement with all of these Arab countries. But Sherman says, watch out. So, because I think they might be conniving in secret. That's essentially what he's saying. Here's what Psalm 83 says. Let's just, first of all, Deuteronomy 7 says, that when they come into their land and you've cast out the people, what's the one thing you're not supposed to do? This is in the Torah. Thou shalt make no covenant with them. What are they doing now? Yeah, they're making a, a covenant. They're making an agreement with them. But here's what, just listen to what Psalm 83. So put it in the context. We're pushing for these nations. 
And I believe the nations are actually identified, these nations that they're pushing the peace with, are identified in Psalm 83. Now, I'm not saying this is it, but I'm just saying is it's something you need to consider. Keep not thou silence, O God, hold not thy peace, and be not still, O God. For lo, thine enemies make a tumult, and they hate thee, and they that hate thee have lifted up the head. They have taken crafty counsel against thy people and consulted against thy hidden ones. They have said, come, let us cut them off from being a nation that the name of Israel may be no more in remembrance. For they've consulted together with one consent. They are confederate against thee. And there's a question. Look, is this prophecy? Is this a prophecy? If it is a prophecy, it has been fulfilled or has it not been fulfilled? I happen to think that it describes a condition that will exist in the end times. The tabernacles of Edom and the Ishmaelites of Moab and the Hagarines of Jabal and Ammon and Amalek. The Philistines with the inhabitants of Tyre. Asher is also joined with them. They have hope in the children of Lot. Do unto them as unto the Midianites, as to Sisera, as to Jabon, by the brook of Kisan, which perished at Endor. They became as dung for the earth. Make their nobles like as Oreb and like Zeb. Yea, all their princes as Zeba and as Zaluna. Now this, Zalmuna. Now this is kind of interesting that this is what was going on at the time of Judges. They also mentioned Zalmuna and Zeba. It says this, then Zeba, Judges 8, chapter 8, verse 21. Then Zeba and Zaluma said, Rise thou and fall upon us. And as the man is so is strength. And Gideon arose and slew Zeba and Zalumna and took away the ornaments that were on their camel's necks. Now that's what the King James says. I think a little bit better translation is the New American Standard and other translations that say that they were really not just ornaments. They were what? Crescent ornaments. Could this be connected to the situation that we see today? Back to Psalm 83. Who said, let us take to ourselves the houses of God in possession. Oh my God, make them like a wheel as the stubble before the wind, as the fire burneth the wood, and as the flame setteth the mountains on fire. So persecute them with thy tempest and make them afraid with thy storm. Fill their faces with shame that they may seek thy name, O Lord. Let them be confounded and troubled forever. Yea, let them be put to shame and perish that men may know that thou, whose name alone is Jehovah, art the most high over all the earth. And so the question is that I would have looking at what it says here is when they're making these agreements, is there something going on in the background? Martin Sherman, who's very astute on these particular issues, says, keep your powder dry, Israel, because there might be something going on in the background. So we saw the incident, we saw the Davidic dynasty columns that were found in Jerusalem in the city of David. Complete surprise. It's really a very important archeological find. And then there was this this week. A hole opened up on the Temple Mount. Now this is a pretty sensitive area. There's a lot of archeology span that has not even been excavated. So when there's a natural hole open up, everybody gets pretty excited. We're going to go look at it. In fact, a number of years ago, there was something like this happened and exposed a wall that archaeologists believed was one of the outer walls of the first temple, or the second temple. And what did the Palestinian walk do? They came and poured concrete over it. So this week, a hole opened up on the Temple Mount 
You can see down into it. People are getting excited. We're going to go down there and look at what did they do? Filled it with concrete. And so everybody says, oh, look at King, you know, King Abdullah II of Jordan. He's so friendly towards Israel. He's the one who runs this thing. And anytime there's a chance that Israel might be proven to be, have a historical tie to the land, he lets the walk step in and obliterate the evidence. So my question is, so when you see these people making peace, and Jordan's have a long-standing arrangement, agreement with Israel, but what are they doing in the background? What, what do their real actions show? So I think this is pretty... Yeah, this is a pretty significant. It's, it's the deal. It's, the, it's a big deal, in my opinion. So that's all I have this week. Um, appreciate your patience. Again, I spoke first hour, talked about some of the ecumenical things that I've been observing for a while. So very interesting. <coughs> very uh, significant and important times. that we live in. So let's pray, and we'll come back next week. Father, thank you so much for your word. We pray that you will um, give us the strength to stand in an evil day, to stand for the truth of the word of God, and not compromise, but also to act as Christians, but speak the truth in love, and act in love towards those around us, and share the gospel with them. I pray specifically for the student that is uh, having to withdraw from his school, uh, that you will put a hedge of protection around him and guide him in his life. pray that you will comfort his parents, that you will help people who can support them to uh, step forward. Thank you for the time that we can spend together. Bless us this week. In Jesus' name, amen.